Thomas Merton once said, perhaps I am stronger than I think. Welcome to the 95th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of you to remember no matter how you feel, no matter how dark the valley might be, you are stronger than you think. And just by continuing to put one foot in front of the other, you are showing that strength no matter how small it might seem. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. I received a topic that I thought might be interesting to explore. Which online counseling service is the best option for a Catholic? Lots of options, but I'm overwhelmed by the choices. Is there an exclusively Catholic option or a good Christian fit? I know I have some grief and God trust issues to work on sooner rather than later. So thank you so much for sending this topic and suggesting it. Let's start by joining in prayer for everyone trying to navigate the unnecessarily difficult world of trying to connect to help that the access to services might be easy, clear, and lead us all to the best possible support. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. So in full disclosure, even with the pandemic changing the way we do so many things in our world, I'm kind of an old dinosaur when it comes to this stuff. I've always seen people for therapy and mental health assessments in person, and I've never really looked into the different options, though I know they are currently plentiful and definitely overwhelming to wade through. Let me start with a couple thoughts based on this topic here. First, as I've said before, we don't need to be looking for a Catholic or Christian therapist exclusively. Therapists are trained to listen and ask questions about the culture of those they are helping and really to work hard to help them within that framework. So taking a little bit of time to explore the context of the importance of one's faith with a therapist uh, will help. It'll help the therapist to help that person. And we really wouldn't be uh, trying to get people to do something outside of their faith or moral framework as a therapist. So it's vastly more important to look into connecting with a therapist who has experience working with what we are going through, PTSD, anxiety, OCD as examples, because it's better to have an atheist therapist who knows the treatment for our current condition than a therapist without that knowledge who just happens to go to mass on Sundays. The next little thing I would like to add is that therapy doesn't have to be expensive or tech-savvy for it to be good. In reality, the best way to get connected to a therapist is through our insurance, by asking our primary care doctor for a referral or contacting our member services department to get connected. It'll be cheaper and easier than searching around online. Or if we have Medicaid or no insurance, the best first step would be to contact our local mental health access line to see who is available within those services. Again, cheaper, and we don't have to wade through a million different options. People do seek out private therapy, of course, and that's okay too, but it'll often be more expensive for the same service, and that might not make a lot of sense for most of us. In terms of online therapy, as I mentioned, my experience is limited, but according to Very Well Mind, research has shown that 70% of people do not have access to therapy because of where they live 
live or because traditional therapy is too expensive. And online therapy can help close this gap. It's also just a better fit for some people depending on their personality, processing style, and financial situation. Very help uh, rated betterhelp.com as the best place for affordable private online therapy and cornerstone Christian counseling as the best online therapy for Christians. You can obviously take that for what it's worth, but hopefully all of this gives you a little bit of help. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm going to introduce you to Saint Cajetan. Born in 1480 in present-day Italy, Gaetano del Conti de Thienne was the son of a lord and part of a family that was among the nobility of the region. His father, however, would die when Gaetano was just two years old, and this experience most definitely led to his quiet nature. His mother taught him the faith and inspired him with her piety, and he would go on to receive his law degree in Padua, work as a diplomat for Pope Julius II, with whom he helped reconcile with the Republic of Venice, and was eventually ordained a priest in 1516. When Pope Julius II died, he withdrew from the papal court, and after the death of his mother, he returned home and founded a hospital there. During the sack of Rome in 1527, he was tortured by the Spanish soldiers of Charles V who had mutinied, but after that he escaped to Venice and managed to found a bank to help the poor and offer an alternative to users who charged high interest rates. According to Wikipedia, he is known as the patron saint of Argentina, the unemployed, gamblers, document controllers, and good fortune. He was a spiritual aspirant in the mold of St. Francis of Assisi who gave up his riches for leading a life of Christian piety, fully committed and dedicated in his practice of total renunciation of material riches. He was unwavering in his pursuit of the spiritual goals he had set for completion and never allowed himself to be distracted from realizing them. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Glorious St. Cajetan, acclaimed by all people to be the father of providence because you provide miraculous aid to all those who come to you in need, I stand here before you today humbly asking that you present to the Lord the request that I confidently deposit in your hands, that all those listening to this podcast may experience the love and peace of God in their hearts this very day. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. Do you have any advice for navigating mental health conversations with a potential future spouse? My boyfriend has OCD in the past. When we've talked about marriage as a possibility, he's told me that he's not ready for marriage yet because of his OCD-related fears of having children, but he'd like to get married and have kids eventually. We've been together four years now. We're 26, 27, and I'd like to plan for the future, but I'm not really sure how to ask when or if he thinks he'll be ready. I know there's no timeline for mental health, but do you have any advice for how I can communicate my desires while still being sensitive to his needs? Let's start by praying for Anonymous, for Anonymous's boyfriend, and for everyone trying to plan for the future amidst anxiety and other mental health symptoms. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. It is so great that you're considering his needs and how best to approach this. It really shows what a supportive person you are, and it's just such a beautiful witness. Before we get into some thoughts about how to best communicate your desires while still being sensitive to his needs, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the best treatment for those of us living with OCD and OCD-related fears and anxiety. It's called Exposure Response Prevention Therapy. And here's a little bit about ERP from the International OCD Foundation, just to provide some context. The exposure in ERP refers to exposing yourself to the thoughts, images, objects, and situations that make you anxious and or start your obsessions, while the response prevention part of ERP refers to making a choice not to do a compulsive behavior once the anxiety or obsess obsessive thoughts or obsessions have been triggered. All of this is done under the guidance of a therapist um, at the beginning, though you will eventually learn to do your own ERP exercises to help manage your symptoms. That said, this strategy of purposely exposing yourself to things that make you anxious may not sound quite right to you. If you have OCD, you've probably tried to confront your obsessions and anxiety many times only to see your anxiety skyrocket. With ERP, the difference is that when you make the choice to confront your anxiety and obsessions, you must also make a commitment to not give in and engage in the compulsive behavior. When you don't do the compulsive behaviors over time, you will actually feel a drop in your anxiety level, this natural drop in anxiety that happens when you stay exposed and prevent the compulsive response is called habituation. So back to me, exposure and response prevention is really successful. According to treatmyocd.com, ERP is extremely effective at treating OCD with a success rate of 65% to 80% in children, adolescents, and adults. While everyone responds to therapy differently, most see a decrease in OCD symptoms within anywhere from 8 to 16 weeks, and some even find that their symptoms disappear altogether. As for the conversation with your boyfriend, the best approach is to bring it up just like you brought it up in the question that you sent my way. Let him know that you are sensitive to his needs, ensure that he understands that there's no judgment related to how he's feeling, and that there's no reason to fear you getting upset or ending the relationship or anything like that. But you both still need to talk about this to help ensure that you're on the same page. In all of our relationships, we have to remember that we can't read each other's minds no matter how long we've been together or how well we know each other. And we have to be willing to sit down and talk with each other to make sure we know where the other person is at, share where we're at, and make sure we're all on the same page moving forward. I'm hopeful with those caveats, he'll be open to discussing it openly and honestly, and you'll be able to hear his thoughts and feelings and really be able to come closer together through it all. A different anonymous is up next. I have a close friend whose husband just cheated on her for the fourth time. How do I best support her as a friend? Well, let's start by praying for Anonymous's friend and everyone in a similar situation and all those who care about them and want to help but don't know how. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First of all, I'd like to say how deeply sorry I am to hear about the experience of your friend. My first thought on how to help 
and be there for your friend is to listen without giving advice. Too often we try to fix problems that come up because we're uncomfortable with the situation, uncomfortable with the emotions, or uncomfortable with silence, and we just want to do something to patch things up and make everything better. But more often than not, it doesn't help and can actually make people feel like we're trying to uh, fix them, like they're a problem, and it can make them feel worse, feel unheard, you know, or just feel like they're not being treated with compassion. So start by letting her know that you're here for her. You're able to hear all of her emotions and difficult thoughts without feeling like you have to run away. You aren't scared of those emotions and you aren't going to judge them or any other decision that she makes. And you're just there. You'll support her no matter what she decides. According to beyondaffairs.com, as a friend, you must remain non-judgmental and avoid telling the person what to do. What a person needs going through this is someone to listen. Deep inside, each person knows what is right for them to do. As they have the opportunity to talk, they will be able to hear themselves and slowly begin to see and make sense of the craziness. Focus on asking good questions rather than giving advice. The best thing you can do as a friend is be a listener and an encourager. Compliment your betrayed friend often. Help with practical things like meals, childcare, etc. God bless you for being there for her. Christy wraps us up. I'd love to hear about mental health for caregivers, especially compounded by the background stress of the pandemic. So let's pray together for all caregivers that they may feel the grace of God in their hearts and remember to take care of themselves as they take care of others. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O holy mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. First of all, God bless you for all the hard work you are doing being a caregiver. Truly the work of a living saint. And caregivers know better than anyone else that they have to find ways to fill their glass back up in order to continue pouring themselves out for those they care for. Without taking time to work on our own mental and emotional well-being, we will eventually find ourselves with nothing left to give. GoodTherapy.org has some more. The mental, emotional, and physical demands of caring for chronically ill or disabled relatives can be particularly debilitating for caregivers. Caregivers show higher levels of depression than family members who do not have caretaking responsibilities. It is estimated that 25 to 50% of caregivers meet the diagnostic criteria for major depression, and that 40 to 70% show significant depressive symptoms. People who fill caregiving roles are also at a higher risk of developing concurrent anxiety issues, chronic diseases, and substance dependence. Caregivers also tend to experience higher levels of stress and frustration. A study by Schultz and Scherz Wood in 2008 posits that caregiving is equipped with all the features of a chronic stress experience with high levels of unpredictability, uncontrollability, vigilance, and physical and psychological strain being major contributing factors. Roughly 26% of caregivers report feeling emotionally drained, and chronic caregiver stress has been linked with cognitive decline including deficits in attention, memory, and verbal ability. So back to me. So now that we see and have this insight, what can we do about it? A little more from goodtherapy.org. 
While the quintessential caregiver role involves the administering of treatment, it must be remembered that caregivers too are in need of care. One way for people to effectively manage caregiver stress and depression is to seek the assistance of a therapist. Therapy can help a caregiver cope with his or her own feelings about the other person's illness. Often, involved family members and friends have strong opinions about the course of care, and that can add stress to the caregiver. Having an unbiased person to talk to, like a licensed therapist, can help offer the caregiver a different perspective and insight into overseeing the patient's care. It can also help the caregiver deal with the mixed feelings and emotions that come with caregiving. For individuals experiencing caregiver stress, the following practical points are important to help facilitate effective and healthy caregiving. Take care of yourself. It is important for the caregiver to recognize his or her own needs and tend to them first. If you're experiencing burnout, you will not be able to effectively help the person in need of care. Ask for help. Caregiving does not have to be solely your responsibility. Some caregivers have a difficult time asking for help from others, but getting support to share the responsibility can help you avoid burnout. Be realistic about the illness and prognosis. Educate yourself and ask questions in order to be prepared for the reality of the illness. Use respite care services. A wide range of services are available to give a break to caregivers and can last from a few hours to a few days. Informally, you can ask another family member or a friend to give you a break, but there are formal respite services available in most communities. Use this time to recharge and look after yourself. And last, find emotional support. You can talk with family, trustworthy friends, a support group, your pastor, or a therapist. Have someone to share your feelings with because that can help ease the burden of caregiving. And back to me, know that we are praying for you, Christy, and for all those engaged in the important work of caring for others. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to Ave Maria's website to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. <laughs>